0: and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today.
1: Thank you for joining me once again on this unique series of my Shock Your Potential podcast. If you've been following, you know that I'm calling this Conversations from Y to X. Why do you ask? Because I'm an X. And I'm trying to learn more about Ys because I've been sitting in way too many meetings lately where people are complaining about the millennial generation, and frankly, it's driving me nuts. So I thought instead of having all these assumptions, maybe I should just go to the source and actually start to talk about these generational differences. So my guest for this episode is Summer Jelinek. And um, I just can't wait to hear what you had to say, especially when we talk a little bit about your background, because you have a fascinating background. But Summer, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do for a living.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So currently in the Dallas, Texas area where I'm a leadership speaker. So I go in and I help companies identify the magic of their frontline and middle level management and help those managers understand what makes them unique and how they can best utilize their strengths to deliver Um, less stress for themselves, higher employee productivity, and better results for their company. Um, Now, a lot of people hear magic, and it's a little cheesy, but I still believe in magic, but it also comes from my experience with Walt Disney World. So, since I was around 23, I've been in hospitality, uh, ski resorts, dude ranches, and then finally had to go with the best of the best at Disney, where I was a frontline leader with them for about eight years.
1: Can't wait to hear more about the dude ranches. And you know, as I, <laughs> as I asked the initial question, one of the things that popped out of me is one of the things that I hate now at this stage in my life is when people say, so what do you do for a living? And recently I was actually at a meeting where every year I go um, and it's like spouses come. So my it's my husband's conference and I get to go along. And I had three women in that conference go, honey, do you work outside the home? And I went, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that question. Like, (laughs) I'm like, does it
2: count that I now work from my own basement? You know? I don't know. It's amazing those questions that you get, especially whenever people find out, like, leadership speaker, you're traveling. And, yeah, it's. I wasn't quite prepared for the questions in the beginning.
1: Well, and I wonder, too, you know, about how much we, especially in my Generation X, we define, have defined ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. And I, I'm battling with that right now, but I, I think we all still battle with it. So I kind of apologize for launching with that. Maybe I should be flipping that up. But the next question that I love to ask is, but what do you love to do in your free time when you're not working?
2: Uh, Well, I have a young family. I have a three-year-old. So like many millennials, I got started a little bit late on the family track. Um, So she keeps us running. And then the thing So I'm a total dork. That's important in this conversation. (laughs) The thing that I love to do more than anything, if it's just like I have a free day by myself, is I love going to the movies by myself. I know it's taboo, but it's, you get to pick your perfect seat and nobody's judging you for the extra. Nobody's stealing your popcorn. Yes. You don't have to share. I love it. It's my happy place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What are your, uh, what are your um, movies kind of go-to movie genre? Or Do you have one?
2: Um, oh yes so anything superhero absolutely wonder woman is the bomb but other than wonder woman it's always marvel because in my opinion she's the only dc character that's you know i'm gonna stop right there because it'll get heated <laughs> but uh and then anything fantasy and uh, to a certain extent rom-coms depending on the mood if you haven't mm-hmm. seen hustlers yet with j-lo by the way definitely recommend it it's a fabulous movie
1: i hear it's getting ox oscar buzz already
2: it is phenomenal.
1: Maybe by the time we air this, she'll have an Oscar. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your good luck, charm. So tell me, this one, this question to me is fascinating with the answers that I'm getting. So, how do you primarily consume information other than going to the movies? And I'm meaning, you know, both current events or, you know, news stories, continue or ongoing training or knowledge, you know, are you getting that through TV, streaming, downloads? So tell me, what what's the way that you consume information?
2: My primary way is online. We don't even have cable in our household anymore. So we do streaming. Um, so for uh, like, uh, casual and just fun. We do Amazon Prime and Netflix, and of course Disney Plus. And then uh, for news, it's it's online. It's flipping through uh, Flipboard, NPR, uh, Business Insider. And But I have to tell you, every night before I go to bed, I still break out a traditional book and I open it up and I like the smell and the feel and flipping through the pages. And I think that's part of, because I'm on the cusp between Gen X and millennials, so we're called vennials. And mm-hmm. I remember what I grew up reading books. The computer one didn't exist yet. It wasn't until I was maybe 11 or 12. And so I still love having a book in my hand as well. I fe-
1: I feel the same way. I moved over to, um, you know, Kindle just because I have so many books and a lot of them I like to (laughs) reread and like you, I love fantasy books. So, you know, most of them are like 700 pages long. So I have, (laughs) I have moved over, but I still have my collection of, of actual books. And I, that to me is that sense of it's, it's a part of my entire being. So I totally get that. But the logical part of my brain is you're not lugging that thing on the airplane anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I haven't broken down for a Kindle yet, but the more I'm starting to travel, the more I want, you know, this will be easier.
1: Well, and first with the Kindle, when I first got the Kindle, I got the actual Kindle that did nothing else because I didn't want the distractions of other things, you know, pinging on me or my email on it. And now I've graduated to, you know, the iPad and, you know, so I've got everything on there and I can tell that I don't, I don't have the ability to focus the same way that I did when it was just the Kindle. But, you know, these things, you know, they outgrow themselves and, you know, pretty soon now I'm like, what happened to the Kindle that just had the books? Now that's what I'm saying. I remember in my day, (laughs) I had that Kindle that just had books I don't know why I went into a Southern accent. It just just came out.
2: (laughs) It's okay. I'm from Louisiana. It reminded me of home. (laughs) Very good. Oh, good. I actually sounded like someplace. (laughs) So now that I've like
1: totally, you know, shown myself and how I'm <laughs> dealing with age. Um, so this is like the the poignant question that I keep wanting to know, because like I said at the beginning, I've been sitting in so many meetings where people are totally complaining about millennials when there's millennials sitting at the table. And yeah. I, I want to shake people and go, do you not look around or do uh-huh. you have a misconception in your brain? So. What do you think, what have you felt unfairly characterized as being a millennial from anyone in any generation? And if so, in what way?
2: Um, So as I mentioned, I'm part of the beginning of the millennials. And one of the things that I'm reading a lot of articles millennials are being applauded is they're they're breaking down barriers. They're going into organizations and saying, you know, I'm doing this work. I deserve more money or I deserve this raise, even though I've only been here for five years and the, I can remember the first time I read one of those articles being a little bit frustrated because I did the same thing. Like that's my generation too. And I would go in and I would say, you know, I've been working here for two years. I'm delivering all of these results. I deserve a raise. And my, the response would be, well, I didn't get my first raise until I was here for six years. Go back buttercup. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. that was frustrating. And I, I that line
1: buck up buttercup. That just makes me oh, crazy.
2: Right. It's, mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. And so I was frustrated with the barriers that I was coming into contact with that I wasn't quite prepared for. And so I'm seeing like the success on the other side of it. But as being somebody who came in the beginning, there was a lot of frustration. And I have been because I am right on their cusp. I have been at the table where they're bashing millennials and a big part of my leadership style and what I teach, I have what's called the magic principle and the first letter, it's an acronym, the first letter is man M for manage yourself first. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I've always thrown back at them is like, if they're not responding to your leadership, it's not their ability, it's not their responsibility to adapt to you. As their leader, it's your responsibility to adapt to them. Because when Anything. they adapt to you, they'll find a new job. That's how they adapt. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of hard conversations that, you know, back in my day, the employees had to adapt to us. Well, back in Gen X and Boomers, the employees stayed at the same company for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. All of the generations need to be adapting to the new new world the way it is today.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's a really good point because I was often looked down upon, um, and I'm clearly Gen X, but um uh, because I moved around job wise and people are like what are you doing you don't show any stability and I'm like but every job I've taken somebody offered to me out of the blue uh-huh. I wasn't going out and searching for them jobs came to me and those opportunities I- increased what I you know what I could do and what my positions were and so you know I have no problem looking at my career and seeing a bunch of bounces but I do I do wonder about this concept of people, you know, in the millennial generation bouncing faster and I have seen it on resumes, but I, not enough to say that I can blanket that across. And yet I don't expect anybody to work anywhere for 40 years. And my God, I'd be bored out of my mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what a lot of people forget is that the every generation you go through this growth in your late teens, early twenties, you're trying to figure out what you, what, what, what you want to be when you grow up. And Mm -hmm. millennials are the first generation that's been under the microscope for all of this. So the millennial generation, oh, they're job hoppers. No, they're a normal 20-year-old trying to figure out what's next. So I think we forget about where we were when we were that age and just start making assumptions. And the media helps speed that up.
1: I do I th- I think that is part of it you know it, it's how it it how it is resonating throughout all of our media channels which is part of my question on how people are consuming media and in training and and current events but it's interesting because I've been kind of coaching the daughter of a friend of mine and um he, you know he's like I don't know what to tell her she's you know doesn't know what her career path is and we've had some really great conversations over the last 3 years but she called me about a year ago um because she wanted to change jobs again and I she's telling me all the reasons why and I knew when she changed to this other job and it was really interesting because she'd only been with a new job maybe six months seven months and she you know she talks and talks and talks and finally I said you know what I'm gonna tell you she goes I know you're gonna tell me I need to stick it out longer I said why do you think I'm gonna tell you you need to stick it out longer because it doesn't look good to job hop that quickly. I'm like, okay, why else? And as we talked through, she goes, you know, maybe I'm not giving it enough a chance or whatever, but, and I said, but the, the key is, is what everybody forgets. And what, you know, even I forgot at times at points in my career is that the grass is not always greener somewhere else. Yes. And sometimes it is, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there's really horrible, toxic environments, but yes. sometimes it's just a little bit of, Maybe not suck up buttercup, but, you know,
0: (laughs) suck it up
1: and get some tenure on there so you can make a better move instead of an emotional move. You know, that charge where you're like, I've had enough, I'm leaving. Well, enough of that, that can be really destructive to your career trajectory because people will start to take notice of that.
2: Well, I think that's where having, you know, I'm a big fan of getting a whole bunch of different people together so that they can share different experiences. So in a big area of that is the different generations. The Gen X and boomers can have conversations with millennials and share that experience because we were also the instant gratification generation, right? If we didn't like something, we could just shut it down and walk away from relationships (laughs) with texting and online gaming and online dating. I mean, we truly are the instant gratification. So as as I know I experienced this growing up in the corporate world. As I grew up, I had to start tempering that with some maturity and ability to stick it out past the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase was a blast, but what happens next?
1: Yeah. That's a really great point. I haven't really thought of it that from that that standpoint about how much technology plays in terms of I hate to say it like this, but attention spans, you know, (laughs) I mean, because you know, and I thought maybe probably my generation because it was the first to really grow up heavily on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, the boomers had it, but it wasn't the same. It was a whole family event. You know, you know, my generation was like, leave me alone. I'm watching (laughs) my TV show. Right. (laughs) And by the way, I'm going to pull the cord from the phone in the kitchen all the way into the living room (laughs) with me to talk to my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) So I had 30 minute increments. It was a little, little longer, you know, attention span, but not by
2: much. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was with the TV coming out and then growing into technology. That was when we started doing things individually versus being a part of a family unit, it, like the boomers.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting too. I listened to a generational speaker a couple of years ago at a conference. And one of the things that he said really struck with me, he's like, you know, if you look at this and this may be generalized, so I'd like to know your opinion on this, but I know it was at least true for my generation. He said, you know, the boomers made things happen. They came home and they had to work. They had to work. They had to make it work. They had to raise a family. There was no ifs, ands or buts. And so they just did it. No matter how horrible it was, no matter the, you know, whatever, they just did it. The Gen X group came in and still learned things on them for themselves because they had to learn new things and new technologies and had to learn it and felt pride in the learning process. So therefore, you know, as he, he was saying, so therefore, as Gen X start to manage millennials and Y or and Zs, that there's the sense of our, our normal reaction is to say, well, I learned it by doing it myself. You'll yeah. feel better about yourself by learning it on your own. You know, and I trust you. If you need me, I'm here. And he said, the problem with that is the millennials and, and don't even talk about the Zs yet in this, but the millennials are like, well, if you already know how to do it. Why are you torturing me? (laughs) Why are you making me have to learn this? Just tell me so I can get on to the next thing. And I remember thinking, you know, in my in my leadership positions all throughout my career, is that sense of, hey, I'm here for you, whatever you need, but I didn't want to micromanage because I'd been micromanaged and I hated it. But I'm wondering now if that was if that's correct, if a millennial sees it that way or If that was just me and maybe I could have facilitated better communication with my direct reports
2: over the years. Well, I think one of the best things, especially if you have an intergenerational workforce, the best thing as a leader is to have a conversation and ask people, say, you know, this is my leadership style. I know it doesn't work well with everybody. So I need you to tell me when it's not working. I'm going to be hands-off, but if you need me to be more hands-on, I need you to tell me because I don't want to micromanage. But opening up that door and letting you, letting them tell you what it is that they need. Because the other piece to it is for millennials kind of in the middle and lower ends, a lot of times their parents were a lot more actively involved than Gen X because yeah. I'm Gen X enough to, I was a latchkey kid. Like I would walk home from school in fifth grade and make my own dinner and things like that. So that's not something that many millennials experience as they got further into the millennial art. So as a leader, it's just being aware of if you have a boomer and you have a millennial, they need the same needs to feel satisfied and happy, but how they receive those needs is going to be different. So Absolutely. adapting to them and asking for that feedback and then giving them feedback as well. I found that as a leader, if you're asking for feedback, it makes giving feedback a little bit easier whenever it's time to give it to the other side.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, the term latchkey kid doesn't even apply anymore because those parents would be uh, either shamed on, you know, whatever front or they'd be, you know, the police would be called for them. I just saw a story about a 12-year-old girl walking her dog and the neighbors called and said she she was being abused for forced labor and she should have been
2: monitored. And I'm like, she's 12. Yes, no. See, that's, oh, so I'm gonna get on a bit of a tangent here, but then I'll come back. As a three-year-old, like society is taking away parents' choices to grow mature kids who can react to difficult situations because I let my kid, I mean, she's three, I don't do it now, but say she's 12, I let her walk. And then you have the fear of child protective services or, you know, police getting involved. It's as parents, we, we're the first parental generation, if you will, that's coming up under the microscope as well. And it's, I've tried to have that conversation with my mom. It's different. What was allowed when I was a kid isn't allowed anymore.
1: It's so true. So true. So what do you want people to know about you in particular and millennials in
2: general? We get a bad rep as entitled and i don't think it's an entitlement i think in the beginning maybe it is cuz i haven't met a 20 year old yet who isn't but it's That's true also, no matter what
1: generation they're from
2: yes you know it's you're learning the world and the world has to teach mis- uh, not mistakes the world has to teach lessons that parents don't always teach so well parents tell us we're special and we believe them because we are special to our parents the world it may not feel that you're special as much but it's not we're not an entitled generation but we are a generation that pushes boundaries and the best leaders are going to see that as a strength and understand that we can help companies look beyond the status quo because we i think well at least for me but maybe for generations for the millennial generation is too we want to make an impact we want to make a difference and we truly feel that we have strengths that we can deliver we're one of the generations like Gen X and boomers, they looked at, okay, what are your opportunities and how can we make it better? How can we make you average at something that you're really bad at right now? Whereas (laughs) the millennial generation is these are my strengths. How can we become superheroes in these? Mm -hmm. So leverage those strengths and leverage that ability to look at things differently, understand where the chinks in the armor is, and then let us run with it. Obviously, you know, a little bit of uh, guidance, depending on their level of business maturity. But mm-hmm. give those those opportunities to excel. Because that's generally that sink or swim mentality. Millennials are good at you give us a challenge, we're going to fix it.
1: I love that idea for a couple of reasons. You know, that whole concept. And as you were talking about that, I do think about how much time in my, or especially in the early part of my career, when all of my leaders were boomers and that whole uh, performance eval was all about uh, never highlighting what you were good at. It was almost like, okay, yeah, you're good at that. We all know you're good at that, but here's where you suck. Uh And here's what you need, not suck at those things. And I remember making a really conscious uh, change in how I led somewhere in my mid thirties when I said, you know what? I have a lot of faults <laughs> and but they do not outshine my positives. Mm-hmm. And so it's my job to either surround myself with people who do who excel at the things that I don't and they enjoy it or mm-hmm. to get good enough at the things that are really important that I still have to do or just, you know, focus on how do I drive enough of the positive to to make up for those negatives or where I'm lacking and I use my little quotation marks in the air because I still think the more we drive from our positives the better the more successful we are but there's still a mentality in my head that's like oh but you really suck at always having a clean desk which is why you'll (laughs) never see my desk on this (laughs) podcast
2: no, How you see a wall
1: place. Me. I know. And if you look over there, I have my flowers. Oh, I almost gave you a little to <laughs> the floor. You should never know these things. It's not horrible. I've gotten better at it. I can find my desk now. But I think that with millennials, you're right, who want to show where their, their pluses are, why can't we drive through from that instead of going, yeah, but you really don't do this well? <laughs>
2: yeah it's I'll never forget I had a professor. I went to college a little bit late in um like my uh late twenties and I had a professor it was for my uh operations management class, and I'm not an operations management kind of person, and I was struggling in the class i mean to the point when I'm not a crier, and I walked into his office and I said, Why are you doing this like I don't understand. I had a zero in the class, and I was an a student, and oh, so boy. I started crying. And he told me, he says, why are you spending all of this time trying to do something that you will at best only be average at instead of focusing on what you're really good at, which is the leadership and the creative side of things and the people side of things and honing those skills. And in that moment, it completely changed the way that I looked at things. Yeah, mine <laughs> absolutely blown. It was the first time I realized I didn't have to be good at everything. That's really,
1: that's great. That's a, I'm, what a great professor.
2: Uh, he really was. He yes. he made me cry a few more times, but I learned more <laughs> from him in that five months than I did from um, most of my other professors.
1: Isn't that amazing? That's fantastic. I love that. Uh-huh. So tell me a little bit about, I, I love this concept of work-life balance. And the reason I ask this question is, and the question is, do you feel you have a strong work, work-life work balance? And if so, why? And if not, why not? But the reason that I asked the question is that another misconception I think that's out there, or some things that I've seen prior to all this have attributed only to millennials. When I look back, it's not only happening to millennials, but sometimes when I told people that work for me that I want them to have a strong work-life balance, they took it to a point of a strong life work balance. <laughs> yes. And so that was very frustrating to me. But I'm finding that even though I think we're really ascribing this role to millennials, it really affects uh, Gen Xs especially. Maybe not the boomers. They, they'll work until there's, you know, they're, they're dead. Um, and see, that's a misconception I may have too as well. But you know, how do you feel about this whole work-life balance? Where do you f- fit in the mix?
2: So I fit in the mix and I think work-life balance is a myth. It's going to just like anything else in our lives, it's cyclical. So right now I am working my day job, which is, uh, I work in retail. So over 40 hours a week, minimum 50, and I'm working on my leadership business. So there's a ton of time in that. I have a young family with a three-year-old. I'm sure you've noticed I am a female. So the mom, <laughs> I, I don't prescribe to the normal mom, um, stereotype, And so trying to balance all three of those things, I have no balance in my life right now. None. Anytime I'm pulling from one bucket, I realize I'm pulling away from the other buckets. Mm -hmm. But I also know it's short term and I'm able to get to the point that I want to get to in the future. So I think work-life balance is going to be different for every person at every stage in their life. When I was in my 20s, I was that person that would work 70, 80 hours a week without even blinking and then ask if you wanted me to come in on my day off. I loved what I was doing. I loved my job. So it just, for different people at different stages in their life, they need different things. And I think as leaders, we have to be able to manage those conversations. Like you have a new mom with a six-month-old and you have a 20-something who's looking for the love of their life. Is the new mom going home to pick up their kid from daycare as important as giving the 20-something time off to go to a party where he or she may meet the love of their life? Like, how do you manage balance for every person where they are in their life and make it an individual experience while being consistent? So I think that's one of the trickier, trickier areas of leadership right now is that work-life balance because it does vary for each person, but you want to make sure that you're being consistent and fair at the same time. So that's, there's not an easy answer.
1: That's such a great uh, point too, because who are we as leaders to judge? Whether or not one scenario is more important than the other, Mm -hmm. and something else you said, I think is also important for all these generations that are coming up. Um, So you know the the millennials, the Gen Zs, and everybody beyond them, is that the definition of, you know, the wife staying at home or the wife always being the one to take care of the kids or to have the meal on the on the table, is really changing and it's interesting to me because here i am i'm 50 i'm almost 51 and i'm you know now running my own business and i i love this life and my husband works you know a traditional job in an office when he's not traveling and more times than not he's cooking for me and i'm home quote unquote all day long and i have this guilt complex still like i should oh, be the little yes. woman to have <laughs> food on the table and he right? keeps saying, quit being ridiculous. You're not working <laughs> less hard than I am. It's just different. And right. I hope that millennials and the Gen Zs and the others find a little more peace than my generation has had, where we where it's okay to have shared roles and responsibilities that aren't the traditional husband brings home the bacon, wife has the meal on the table. You know. And I know we're beyond that, but not all mentally are we beyond that.
2: Right. Well, and I think because I live in a very untraditional household in that, you know, I am the ambitious one out of the relationship. My husband is more of the supporter and he absolutely has my back and does whatever it takes to support me in my ambition and my desire to be successful. Um, Whenever we moved from Orlando to Dallas, I uh, recruited my brother to come with us and he actually stays home and takes care of my daughter. And does a lot of the cooking. So four days a week he does the cooking. He helps with laundry, things like that, so that I can invest so much time in this business. Um, and I was really surprised when I would tell some of my um, Gen X and Boomer friends that my brother was coming. They're like, "Oh, well, what kind of precedent is that setting for for your daughter?" Oh, and- wow excuse my French, but I'm like, the precedent that I'm we're setting is mom can go out and kick ass and uncle can come yeah. home and take care of daughter and dad can support both sides of that, depending on where it needs to flex so that we have a happy functional household. And that's one of the things, the boundaries that I mentioned earlier, millennials pushing boundaries and looking at things mm-hmm. saying, this isn't working, how can we make it better? That's one of the ways that our household works towards, this is a goal that I have. Society doesn't necessarily set up for success for having two um, full-time working parents who want to also do a little bit more. So we had to get creative, but it works well for us. But my brother has gotten quite a bit of that eyebrow raising and, you know, awkward going into the mommy and me groups. So I think women are experiencing (laughs) that, but society isn't allowing men to step into the role to assist. Well, and what a shame, too,
1: because you know what you're really teaching your child is family, whatever family looks like, because it doesn't have to be just you know related family, family can take care of each other right. and keep that support system. I mean, you think about many different cultures in our world today, and especially in the past, where where generations stayed together and helped each mm-hmm. other. And it didn't matter who was doing what, it was about the community. You know, it takes a village to raise a child, really is about if you're smart, you're not trying to do it all yourself. You're maximizing what's there. And to keep mm-hmm. family involved in that, I mean, how is this any different than having a nanny? It,
2: exactly. It's that was whenever I called my brother, I said, Have you ever heard of a manny? And he said, What's a <laughs> manny? I said, It's a male manny. And he went, No, absolutely not. I said, Okay. <laughs> And then he called me about two weeks later. He's like, let's talk about what this would look like. And I said, okay. And that's I how the like conversation started.
1: It. I love it. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> well, so we're, we're wrapping up. So tell me, what do you think that all of us, any of us, you, me, everybody else can do to facilitate better understanding between generations, whether it's Y to X or it's, you know, boomers to millennials or or uh, us to the Z's, which is, is, you know, we're going to start seeing them in the workplace pretty soon. You know, what do you think we can do to make this better and start to break down stereotypes and understand each other better and have better conversations?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with we need to stop polarizing each other. So whenever we look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to use politics as an example. So whenever we look, you can have somebody on the left side and somebody on the right side. And if they would actually stop yelling and start having a conversation, realize that they want the same thing. We want people in our office who care about us and are making the best decisions for society. But instead, we focus on the polar opposite ends of what an extreme right or an extreme left does and we align with that and so the conversations are stopping. We're forgetting how to disagree and how to have conflict. Conflict is healthy. When you mm-hmm. can have conflict and come out on the other side of it, trust is restored, you have a better stronger relationship, you understand more about the other person because that conflict begins in an area of need, an area of insecurity, or fear. So we're getting rid of conflict saying it's a bad thing. And I think we're taking away a big part of what builds relationships and what allows us to see each other as human. So it's when you start getting worked up or start thinking, I disagree with that person. So I don't like them. Be Mm -hmm. intentional about changing your thoughts and how you're framing your experience with that person. Instead of, I don't like them. It's, I disagree with that person. What can they teach me? Very good. Because, it's no matter what generation, we can all learn from each other, but we've stopped being willing to listen. And that's kind of scary.
1: It is, it's very scary. And that's a great point as you were talking, I was thinking about how many times now I just avoid <clears throat> political discussions as as your example, because I don't want to get in an argument with people I care about. And it mm-hmm. seems like the way discussions happen are not discussions, they are arguments. Now if I used to be able to discuss politics with a lot of people and be able to you know kind of give my two cents for what it was and have people agree or disagree it didn't matter but we weren't all of a sudden saying that I'm not going to speak to you anymore right and so if it's no if it's either yelling or no communication we really have a gap there you're right and so then if we're also adding assumptions on top of that political generational You know, idealistic, whatever. Then we're going to stop having any common ground. That's a really good point. Thank you. Well, thank you, Summer. I really appreciate your perspective today, and my guest today was Summer Jelinek. Did I do it? Mm -hmm. You did. did. You did it well. (laughs) Wow, I did it twice and I did it right. And my listeners will go, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe!" Because all the time I'm always screwing up names, but you know we have fun. As long as you're not offended by it, we're all good. We're all good. Good. And this was another episode of my conversations between Y and X, where we are going to bridge this gap and we're going to start to open up that communication to find some common ground and some ways to meet each other where we are. Thank you. And join me again next time on Shock Your Potential.
0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.